We both remember 2008, which was a tough thing to go through. How does 2020 compare with COVID still out there and Brexit about to happen in 20 days and as yet as we speak without a deal? Well, there are lots and lots of things to grapple with. And in terms of 2020, that has a lot of similarities with 2008. However, there are some differences. I think the widespread nature of the virus, the fact that everybody is affected by it, albeit in slightly different ways and to varying degrees, queuing at the bank machine in order to get cash out and that general level of uncertainty in 2008 as regards the economy is not there this time. However, the uncertainty is really much more about normal life and how we're going to all get through this. And certainly from a personal perspective, looking at how we've come through this year, it's been good and there've been some good things. There have been some bad things clearly that have happened. A lot of people have sadly died. And I think people are finding the second lockdown a lot more difficult than the first. The days are shorter, the weather's not as nice. We've all been doing this for nine or 10 months now and it's lost its charm. It was interesting talking to Anthony Jenkins. He had a kind of a more optimistic tone. His argument was that the city traditionally has always been hugely resilient, but that more broadly speaking, business people will say, let's get on with it. Let's find a way to make it work because that's what business is all about, adapting to circumstances. How confident do you feel at the moment that, that your sector, that financial services, the city, is sort of ready for what January and February are going to bring? Unfortunately, like, like most good questions, the answer is not quite so straightforward in as much as I can't say what the structure of the deal is because we don't know whether there is a deal or there isn't. Politically, it's difficult for the government to support financial services, even though they acknowledge and are aware of the fact that it makes, as an industry, it makes a very significant contribution to the tax take for the country. So if there is a serious downturn in activity in financial services, that is going to have a very significant effect on tax receipts at a time when borrowing exceeds tax receipts by, by quite a significant measure. Um, and the tax base in the wider country has been put under enormous pressure as a result of the virus and COVID generally. So it is the, it, it's the overlapping of two separate life-defining crises or crises that makes this very, very difficult. And as somebody running a business, I like to try and confine our activities to one crisis at a time, and that's not possible here. What happens when your senior colleagues from the States get you together like this on a Zoom meeting and they say, what's going on over there, Ethna? You know, nutshell us, just explain where our considerable investment in you and in Europe is, is kind of going at the moment. What answers do you have for them? Well, I think philosophically, the American business community see the Brexit vote as a as a piece of economic harm, self-inflicted economic harm, and they genuinely don't understand it. 
And I say that even through a prism of a country that voted in Donald Trump in 2016. So they really find it difficult to understand what motivated people to make that choice. Notwithstanding the surprising nature of it, they, they're pragmatic. Um, we have now got a business in Europe and that's going to help us deal with the consequences. But from a business planning perspective, what it means for me is having to run scenarios about what might happen and cover more than one probable outcome. And that's expensive and time consuming and consumptive of resource and creativity that's not necessarily going into providing a better service to clients. Do you sometimes sit and think if we hadn't had to expend all this extraordinary amounts of time and energy, not just over the last sort of nine months, but since 2016 on Brexit, do you kind of dream about all the other things that you could have done? Yes, I think we would have done different things. We would have, we would have looked at new business opportunities. I, I'm, I'm sure we're not the only business that has had to curtail their outward-looking activities to concentrate more on getting the internal organization ready for something, the shape of which is, has yet to become clear. And I'm sure I'm not the only person to have been slightly underwhelmed by the government advertising campaign that started in October 2020, suggesting that businesses might want to get themselves organized for January 21. It's a bit late. But, but what about the bonfire of the red tape? What about, you know, Singapore off the coast of Northern Europe? What about all those sort of freedoms from intrusive bureaucracy that are held up by those who, who favoured Brexit as being huge pluses? Do, do you not feel a sense of Gulliver being let free from his shackles and off, off you can go and do amazing things that you weren't able to do beforehand? Well, no, I don't particularly. And, the, and part of the reason I don't, I, I completely accept what you said earlier, Matthew, uh, in, in relation to the conversation with Anthony Jenkins, that the city and business does find ways of getting through things. And it is at the moment, and we will get through this. However, the team that put together the Brexit campaign have now left their advisory position largely in government just in time to take no responsibility for the consequences of the implementation of Brexit from January 21 onwards. Is it possible that they said things that turn out not to be true? I think there's a, there's a good chance. And particularly if I take drilling that down to the specifics of financial services, for example, the idea that the Financial Conduct Authority is going to rip up the rule book in order to facilitate easier lending and more profligate financial services in 21 is idiotic. The FCA have been at the forefront of increasing the rule book, not decreasing it, from a UK context, not driven by Europe, and it is utter nonsense to suggest otherwise. It is interesting, isn't it, if you talk to the average business person who's not sort of ideological, who's just interested in running their business, and you say to them, well, what do you feel that the whole sort of European project has held you back in, in either the area of people, employment law, 
or finance or any of those facets, you very rarely find anybody who says, well, actually, they stopped me doing that. And even if you speak to Tim Martin at Weatherspoons and you ask him very specifically what it is about Europe that stops him running his amazingly successful pub chain more efficiently, I'm not quite sure what the answers are. I haven't heard anything particularly convincing. It's very difficult to really see the logical reasons. And people have talked about sovereignty. They've talked about those that are being excluded from growth and prosperity, driving that debate. And there, there, there is a case answer on wealth inequality since 2008. And, and probably the lack of accountability those that were instructive to the crisis and who caused the financial crisis have largely speaking managed to walk away from the carnage at least as well off. That is understood by most people to be unfair. So I, I, I understand that that may have been part of the motivation for the vote, but it doesn't seem to me that a vote to leave the European Union is necessarily going to improve that. Both you and Vicky are originally from other European countries, and I want to know how you felt about Brexit and what's happening at the moment from that point of view, because you have a degree of objectivity, if you like, that for us is not sort of there in the same way. It's hugely emotive, isn't it? Well, for, for lots of reasons. I mean, for Vicky, probably for slightly different reasons. I'm originally from Dublin. So from the perspective of the Irish border, this is a significant challenge to the peace process and, and longer lasting peace in Ireland. So it's not just an economic decision and it wasn't a decision that the Irish people participated in, clearly. There is real nervousness in Ireland about what may happen to society and that process, that, that largely peaceful nature of how things have been since the Good Friday Agreement. There is real concern that we may take a significant step backwards. Um, it's, it's something we look at with regret. But do you think it means that the whole thing is sort of over? There, I think there are two interesting questions. The first is that those who are kind of very strongly behind Brexit for ideological reasons are possibly welcoming this as the sort of, you know, end of Act One in the tragedy of the EU and that it's the beginning of the end for the whole process. And I wonder if you think that that is in any way true. And secondly, if it does look to be a kind of a mistake for us economically, and we do find it really pretty tough going, what do you think the chances of a government of a different political complexion in the future rejoining? The rise of ideology in, in British public life, it, I would say, is a tragedy. The UK has not been a country in the past that has been overwhelmed with ideological pursuits. It's more of a pragmatic country. Um, and I think one of the real tragedies of what we've seen, certainly in this administration, is the triumph of ideology over competence, which has had significant and negative effects on how this crisis in terms of the virus has been handled. 
in terms of how we move forward, could we go back into the European Union? I guess you'd never say never, but it seems unlikely. Now, you mentioned competence, and I wondered if she was still around and indeed if she were running the show, if someone like Lady Thatcher would have allowed us to get to the point where we've got fewer than 30 days to go before exit with no deal, because it is the issue of competence that's, that's being talked about a lot now on both fronts, isn't it, on COVID and on Brexit. And I don't think if you appear not to be in control of the situation, then the public level of trust in, in government goes down, doesn't it? In order to have trust, there are lots of elements to it, but you need to have a clear purpose with a, a sense of integrity and how that purpose is pursued. I think both of those things are missing. And you certainly need to be able to do what you said you're going to do. And that's in terms of competence, that's absolutely, that's absolutely departed the political scene in a, in a significant way. It is difficult to think back to an administration that has been less competent than this one. And a cabinet that is more devoid of actual experience in getting things done. Does that matter for the greater society? Yes, it does. I wonder if the penny has really dropped about what's facing us economically as a country at the moment, not least because there was an item on one of the evening television news programmes the other night where they found several couples who were currently on furlough who were complaining that building societies and all banks were refusing to give them mortgages. And that made me think, really? Um, that It just took me back to the days of 2008. That's how you lose a lot of money on behalf of taxpayers. It is worth reflecting on exactly the point you made, that the, the public seemed to believe that it should be possible, in the absence of any ability to show ongoing capacity to repay a mortgage, that you should be in a position to get one from a high street bank. That doesn't seem to me to be desperately financially literate because you, you can stand back from the situation and the banks get criticized for lending to people who shouldn't be in a position to borrow. It's very difficult now to open a bank account if you want to have a go at trying it. It's more difficult to do that than it is to vote. Standing back from the situation, the high street banks are under more pressure to make sure that their businesses operate well on a, they don't launder money, they don't lend to people who can't pay it back. So we have decided to focus our collective attention on financial services and not on democratic participation, which is an interesting contrast. It's interesting talking of democratic participation that it, it would appear at the moment, certainly from recent polls, that public opinion is moving against Brexit as well, but quite a few people are having sort of second thoughts about it. When you look ahead over the next year, two years, three years, the temptation surely is going to be to try and up the tax take, but the downside of that would be that you you know, you suck even more energy out of a potential recovery. So how do, you, how do you see the next two or three years panning out? And 
particularly I'd like to know how you see the future for London as a city, because it seems that in many ways it's suffering considerably at the moment compared to what it was two years ago. If the exit from the European Union is without a deal and there are significant frictional costs and tariffs, then this is a small market, 65 million people. If we go out without a deal, this chances are the Scots are going to go their, their own way. So it starts to become a very small market in which to launch a new business. You have cut yourself off from Europe where there are 300 million consumers to focus on maybe 60, maybe less. So the scale isn't there for new business developments. That's worth spending some, some time considering. It's one of the reasons why America has been very good to set up new businesses because you have scale and a lot of consumers that you can get to in largely one language and largely one legal setup. And I'm not sure that the creative entrepreneurial indigenous spirit will necessarily be able to overcome the flood of people who have jobs that are very dependent on large centers like London for example, the, the amount of employment that is in the hospitality sector has become clear at a time when it's very difficult to see how that spending continues. Have we thought about how, from a state perspective, from the government's perspective, how are we going to retrain all those people into something more productive than making cappuccinos? So where do you think we're going to be in a year's time when we talk again in December 2021? I think it's going to feel pretty uncomfortable, to be honest. 